Welcome back. Episode nine. Yeah, so I think the first thing we wanted to do, actually, we were talking offline about feedback and how we need some. So we've got to set up a couple of things. One is an email address and one is the Reddit or subreddit. Yeah. Um, so we'll put it in the show notes, but we'll, the email address, if you want to send us any feedback, hopefully not, you know, don't be too mean, but if it, you know, if it has to be, then it has to be, I guess, but yeah. I'll, we'll hug each other whilst we read it. <laughs> Just crying. Um, so the email address will be jassandrich at wildtruetalk.fm. Uh, that'll be in the show notes. And the subreddit is uh, wildtruetalk. Um, so yeah, any feedback that you have, good or bad, um, please send it our way. Or just to let us know you exist. Also fine. Yeah. Pod- maybe what, what country you're from, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Podcast analytics are yeah. still terrible. Um, so we don't really know who's listening. Yeah. Or how much, or if they're just downloading it and then not listening, it's yeah. it possible to know. So, yeah. Yeah, so it'd be good to know. So we're, we were thinking that we're going to do this episode, one more episode, and then we'll, we'll that'll be our first season sort of done. Um, and then we'll sort of have a think about life and whether we want to keep doing it and how we're going to keep doing it and whether we're going to change anything. So, um, yeah, any feedback for that would be would be great. Cool. Uh, okay. Uh, so the last episode was on contracting versus permanent, and we don't think we have any feedback. Absolutely smashed it. Yeah, it's, just it's just perfect. It's put to bed. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> nailed it. Um, so that was easy. That'll keep this episode about half the length. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that there's always a but. The only thing I did think is maybe we didn't make a strong enough case for perm. That was the thing I was thinking. I feel it came across quite pro contracting. Well, I, I think that was because. Um, Permanent's the de facto, right? So everyone sort of, yeah. that's where you go by default. So we're saying, try this other thing. Have a look at this. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've, I've forgotten how positive perhaps I was, but I mean, I was, I've only ever had permanent jobs. So um, it's interesting if we felt that that did come across <laughs> still quite positive. Maybe it's time for a career change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a sign. Um, but yeah. Maybe it's also a factor of the type of people we are, where we're both quite technical. We're quite techy. Mm. Like we don't necessarily wear sandals all the time. <laughs> when we do, only with socks. But we, but we, maybe that's part of it. Because if you were a more peopley person, career career builder type, who's perhaps a little bit less techy, then perhaps contracting isn't for you. Because it's more of a gun for hire. I can do this thing like this skill really well. Yeah. So may, maybe we like lean that way because of that. But yeah. Yeah. Or maybe just because... But I haven't learned that way yet. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Or maybe just... Maybe it's f- um, because of where we are. I feel like if we were in um, Silicon Valley, contracting might be slightly less appealing. Yeah. But just because they have companies that do interesting things. And unless you happen to be a developer who also happens to love finance, London's a little bit sparse on the ground for like... Yeah. companies that you think, oh, that would be cool, whereas America has a lot of companies. It's also just bigger, I suppose, but you, yeah. there are more things. So I think maybe I'd be less likely to be contracted there. But yeah, no, I didn't. I thought we just, we just nailed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pro, pro contracting. Um, okay, cool. Well, then we'll move on. Quickest, uh, quickest uh, yeah. back ever. You haven't, you haven't skipped too far on the podcast. <laughs> this is just where the podcast is now starting. Someone's going to be skipping 30 minutes <laughs> yeah. in and they're going to be like, what, they're halfway through? <laughs> <laughs> So today we thought we'd talk about management, the management side of software development, I guess. Yeah. I and from both sides, we've we've both had experience managing and have been managed. 
by definition. Yeah. Um, so we thought we'd talk about it a bit. Might be quite interesting. Could be. Could be. Fortunately, somebody has made some notes. That'd be me. Yeah. <laughs> so so we've actually got some... some Preparation. Good, some good starters for 10. <laughs> Surprise. Um, so yeah, so I think we were speaking about it before, but I think the, the, the summary of it was... As someone who has to have a manager, if you're just a you know normal employee, software developer, the quality of your manager can make a big difference to how much you enjoy your job. Yeah, I think that's really yeah. the key. That's how I think what I'm saying that, and it that is totally how I feel, and what I've experienced and seen other people go through mm. is that you have a rubbish job, but a pretty good manager, that job will probably be okay. You have a pretty good job, but your in your manager's a bit rubbish, then that will probably be a disaster. And they seem to be of like happiness and how well a job goes for you. It's they seem to make up a, like maybe I was saying like somewhere between 30 and 70% because if they're an arsehole then yeah, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're in trouble basically. So they yeah. so from that perspective they're also that's they're quite important and then also if you are maybe thinking about managing we've both we I wouldn't I don't know where you, so you've managed well, remind me. What have you, <laughs> good friend? Yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. what what management have you done? Not not for a little while, but before. Uh, yeah, I guess. So I've I've managed a one graduate in a big organisation. Oh yeah. And then I've in my startup where I was CTO, um, I had a team of three three guys that I was looking after. Mm. Um, and then in the current place, I've looked after a couple of guys in Mumbai so like remote off-site uh, developers but um, I didn't know that no well that was for a while and then one of them left nothing to do with me I hope. <laughs> and the other um, was was more of a C++ guy just helping out with KDB but once I was there he then moved back to C++ so I ended up didn't I didn't need to manage him anymore uh, so that was quite nice um, yeah so I've done I've done it in a bigger place and I've done it as the in the startup where I felt like I wasn't doing a good enough job as being a manager because I had to spend so much time developing. And that's, you know, one of the things that I think is an interesting problem as a manager is how do you split your time up? Assuming you're not just a full-time manager, a people manager, you have to do something else. It's then like weighing up that time and that's something I think we should discuss. Yeah. Um, so I looked, I've, I've only managed people in a company which was like my company yeah. and I started with one person and went to four over the course of a couple of years and I felt very much the same as you where I it it was one of the more difficult things I have attempted to do in my career it was it's quite yeah, it's a similar situation right because you were still actively developing as well right? yeah so that's actually very similar that situation yeah at least reviewing a lot of code and everyone were being junior that was under you as well yeah yeah and in my case they were really junior because we taught them all to program yeah. from scratch which so is probably the most junior you can be in some respects in this field so it's yeah that was challenging but yeah so how would you say like I, my feeling always when I at that startup, as we both got a similar experience there, was I feel like I should give these guys more of my time yeah. to look after them personally uh, in a professional environment, but I just don't have that time. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I consistently felt bad about not spending any time with them, but then also just didn't just didn't have the time yeah. to even spend with them. What one thing has to suffer, and you get to choose which one, basically. Yeah, like either you're coding and the stuff you should be doing or the team because you're not spending enough time and it's 
I think because the because programming is a uh, focus. I don't know what you call it. Like it's a. It's, you need to be in the zone and you need to do it well. Yeah. You need to have big continuous blocks of time to do it if you really want to be the most productive you can be. You want to spend like two hours at a time doing stuff. But then if you've got three people working for you, they can ask questions. They need things from you legitimately. Yeah. And so it breaks that up. So you end up getting interrupted a lot more, context switching a lot more. And it, I think it's really common to see senior software developers who then someone says, oh, you can start managing people. And then you watch them in the slow descent of going off the rails as, yeah. they, as they get sort of, they're sort of straddling, trying to basically do two jobs. And one of which they're probably not that great at because it's a new thing for them. So it's just like doubly difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's a tough and that and that does seem to be you know in a lot of bigger organizations that tends to be sort of the reward of staying and doing a good job is that you end up yeah moving out of it yeah uh, well moving That's out true. of element into really into weird. being a manager which is weird it's like come do this job get really good at it oh you're really good at it okay help other people do it now which requires a skill set which is I don't know in a Venn diagram how much they overlap, but not a lot. Not a lot. At not all. a lot at all. Like maybe eighty percent of it is just not what you're you still were doing be before. using Jira. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, now you're creating the tickets rather than reading yeah. them and yeah. trying not to cheat yourself. But the the yeah, like code wise, and some managers end up not coding at all, like quite commonly. Yeah. So yeah, and that's one of the reasons to get out of those bigger organisations because it feels like they don't know what they don't know what to do with. Software developers or, or any specialty like that. Yeah. Some companies are better than yeah. others, but the more senior you got, the more, even if you were not a people manager, you sort of ended up with more responsibility. Some There are exceptions to that rule. I used to work with a guy I was thinking about when I was thinking about what to say today. And he he was a, quite a technical person. So he was like a TA or a, you know, like a, he, he, he was in charge of all the tech for where I worked. And he didn't want to progress up the natural ladder that the big company I worked for at the time had. And they just couldn't... Ha- they were like, what? What, what, <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to get promoted? And he was like, no, 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 I quite like doing what I'm doing now, thanks. Yeah. Maybe just pay me a bit more money. And they kind of did not compute with them because they were like, you need to start managing people or you need to, you know, do other things that aren't that. And they don't necessarily accept just like that person being really technical and being really good at what they do. There is probably a limit to how good, how far your career can go doing that. Like no one earns, well, in terms of money, not everything's money, but no one, you know, earns like 10 million pounds a year because they like really good at coding this particular thing. It's super rare. Whereas like if you're a CEO, yeah, then sure you might make 10 million a year because you like progressed up the natural sort of management train. But yeah, he, he was just kind of fine with it. But yeah, smaller companies that can... It's a bit better, maybe. Yeah, I think you know, well, your, yours was your own company, and mine was a startup, and it it was the you know there was nobody else to do that, so it had to be me. Yes, but um, I, I, you know, I wasn't exa- I, like you said as well. Neither of us were experts at it, so it's definitely a new skill, and it's good to it's good to learn something that isn't necessarily a software engineering problem, but is another sort of requirement, you know, job that you do within an organization. And it was good to learn that and do it. And learn the difficulties about it because it's dif- it's difficult in a whole different way. Right? Yeah, it's really hard. Um, and it gave me a new respect for if I've seen I haven't really had any bad managers myself, but I could I can appreciate it more now that it is quite hard. Um, and it probably means that it, if the people underneath that manager are 
feel like he's a bad manager. It's because he's, I think that balance perhaps isn't right for that manager. That's how I think of it now. I was like, if if my guys were a lot more moany about or were complaining a lot about the team or something or me, then it would be because I'm probably not giving them enough time. But I yeah. felt like that wasn't the case. So maybe the split was just about okay. Mm. But I could have spent more time with them if I had it. It's do, it, That particular job will be very difficult because startups are normally resource constrained so mm. they probably needed you to do a bunch of dev and like also look after like make sure that they're all productive and it's mm. like it just ends up in an impossible situation whereas in a bigger company maybe things would be a bit more reasonable and maybe- but the thing i never really worked out and this is perhaps you would have had this more in in my team it was quite easy because each individual person had a separate set of skills yeah so it was like well we have problem on we have a a website issue well that goes to person a because he's the website guy java guy okay he's junior but we'll give it to him and i'll help him out person b kdb side okay he's more junior again than me but it's a kdb problem he's the only person other than me that knows it so i'll chuck it his way the work just assigns itself but I was then. I was always thinking, like in a bigger team, you'd be like, okay, we have five of these resources to do Java. Mm. Apart from just, I mean, obviously you can just do it based on load and be like, well, he's not hundred percent allocated. Yeah. But if you're a good manager, you should be thinking, well, which this is a particular problem. Which of these guys is best tackled to deal with it? Yeah, yeah. And then you also have to take into account the seniority of them. So if you're like, well, this every all of these problems that I have, if I give it to senior developer A, he's going to do all of these in half the time as B, C, and D. Mm. but I can't let B, C, and D sit there not doing anything, right? Yeah, that's... You know, that sort of thing. Like, I, I never really understood that, and I've never had to be in that situation, but I imagine that's tricky where you're having to give jobs to people, uh, uh, tasks to people that you know it's going to take them longer, mm. but you have to give them work. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Have you had that problem where you could do something or the person can do it, and then you're like, maybe I could do this quicker, and it would just be less hassle? Yes, I had that a lot. Yeah, that's a really hard because it's part really of, hard. Yeah, your engineering brain's like, well, I could just do it. Yeah, and then you're like, but what's the point of having people? Yeah, working because at some point it's not true. Like if you hired thirty competent developers, you could not do the work of thirty competent developers. But the problem is when you have one, two, or three, you're like, maybe I could just do. And you also fall into that trap of thinking oh, it doesn't sound like it will take that long. But actually, it will. and when someone comes back, you're thinking, gosh, I feel like I could have done that in not very long. But actually, when it's you and you're doing it, you're like, oh, yeah, there's this thing and I've got to connect the combobulator to the disk yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it, it is hard to not be a control freak. I had that issue particularly with the Java stuff because I had written all of the Java stuff mm. from scratch. I knew you're familiar more, with it. I knew more or less straight away what, how this would be done. Yeah. Because I was like, well, I picked all the libraries that we're using, you know, Jetty, you know, the stuff that, all the sort of standard libraries. So I was like, this is, you know, I giving him the task, I knew what the solution was almost yeah. and how long it would take me to a point that maybe in anything else like the UR, the, the website stuff, I wouldn't know. Yeah, maybe but, that's easier in a way. Yeah, but then it was like, and then it was like, well, he's going to go away and do that. And then you go through the cycle of, well, it's not the way I would have done it. <laughs> and then you have to fight that battle of, well, how much does he need to change it to be the way I would do it yeah. versus it's acceptable. Yeah. And that's a separate side of, well, that's more of a code review seniority thing. Problem. That's hard. But that's really hard as well. Because yeah. otherwise you get you could easily get into that situation where you just give him enough feedback that he would just write exactly the lines as you wanted to write them. But you've just made somebody else, like a secretary. <laughs> type it out, type it again, you just yeah. type it right. Yeah. And it's like uh, f- fighting that instinct is difficult as well. I think it's that's really hard. And I definitely, because my staff was so junior, 
I normally just made them change it because there's a benefit for them. As long as they understand why they're changing mm, it, there's a benefit that's for important, them. Yeah. If, if I'm right, which I may or may not be, then there's a benefit for them being like, I would have done it like this and that would have been better because of this and that. And that, and actually, when they were changing things, I think it's like a learning exercise for them. As long as, like I said, the key point there, though, is as long as they understand why, why and you're not just doing it to be pedantic. Yeah. And I'm sure sometimes I maybe was being pedantic. So it's like, because I am very much a stickler for everything. So mm-hmm. it's, I'm sure people have had to sit there and they feel like, you know, they're just typing out the code again for my, like, because I'm just, a bit, bit mad with certain <laughs> things to do with code. So, yeah, we solved a lot of that with, like, standardising the way that we do things in the team. Yeah. But it doesn't stretch to everything. Yeah. I had some difficult problems with one of the people that worked for me in the past. I appreciated every time that I gave him something that I would have to spend some time with him explaining the problem and how to best to solve it. Yeah. Um, and so... I was I accepted that and I was like, look, that's something I have to do because otherwise he's never going to learn. Mm. But the frustration coming back is that then things would still, he'd still struggle and still have, there'd still be problems in his code that I felt like we, you know, it wasn't the first time we spoke about this and that mm. that feeling that without trying to be unreasonable that he just wasn't learning those key things repetitive, you know, over three or four goes of either the same problem or three or four different tasks. Similar things. I felt like it's quite, it, it makes it quite hard then to it makes that feeling of oh i'll just do it yeah a lot easier because this you're like in my head i'm like oh these are some small tasks that need to be done that i'm probably not going to get around to doing because they're not that important or they're just minor enough that i'm not going to worry about them i'll give all these to this guy Mm -hmm. and they come back and you're like oh that's just that's somehow worse than if we hadn't done it or you know what i mean that sort of feeling exactly what you mean really hard to the 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 thing is i'm actually it's, it's weird in my mind a line of code not written is not as bad as a badly written line of code. Mm. So if someone writes some code and you're not happy with it, you're all, I have the same mentality. I'm like, I, I'd actually rather that this wasn't just in the code base like yeah. at all. Like yeah. it's weird, but it's really difficult. But it's kind of true because like bad code like that, it it can breed bad code. Yeah, because people start seeing it and it looks. A sticks out and then people are like, why did that get, yeah. do I need to make less, effort? Um, I can put less effort in now because it's. I'm working on a code base now that, um, again, without getting too personal, that a couple of people that worked for me and some of that didn't work for me worked on. Mm. And um, and I'm going back and like taking ownership of it. And I found, I code reviewed all the code. So ultimately the buck stops with me in the first place. Yeah. But I keep finding things, that not not, it's actually in pretty good shape. Like if I came onto this code base, I'd be, it's pretty much, I mean, especially because I code reviewed it. Yeah. I think that really helps. But um, I found a few things where something's gone wrong in one place and then someone's like, oh, I need to do another one of those. So they've copied the file and then they've got, it's not duplicated code, but there's something wrong in that code and then it's wrong everywhere else. So oh. like, like... Without copy and pasting, I don't understand. So the one for me is like um, all the... So in in some of the code we're doing, there's like a function and somebody, when we'd started, had used the function keyword in JavaScript, which as a rule, me and my team just don't use. Right. But then everybody that started that same type of file had just copied and pasted it and then they've used the wrong syntax and that wrong syntax had then just spread. Oh, I see what you mean. And this code base has maybe like 30 files of this type and the other day I just had to go through all 30 being like, delete that, change it to this, delete that, change it right, to this. And right. it's just like someone had just literally done it once 
Just like without and, even thinking about it. And then it spread like a virus where, yeah, yeah, yeah. where like, and, and I was doing it too. I'd be like, I need to start another one. And you just glance at it, you're like, that looks right. Copy, paste. And then it's everywhere. Uh-huh. And you're like, oh no. <laughs> That's <laughs> weird. What's, what's happened? It's like, yeah, it's strange. So you can't, you got to keep a really tight ship because otherwise these things can spread. But yeah, it is, it is hard. I That's def- hard. So then we had a different guy that was really strong. And I knew whatever I threw at him, he would just, just get the just job do done. Yeah. And it was. I'd perhaps seen to those kind of people before from a non-management point of view, just sort of as my peer. Mm. And now having them next to each other as people that I'm looking after, the difference then was, you know, the the the, the sort of pride of him, you know, getting it back to me and being like, wow, you're doing a really good job versus this where I'm like, this is going to be a lot of work. Yeah, you know, that sort of high and low. It was really stark and I've never, haven't seen that since actually mainly because i haven't been managing as many people but it's yeah that was the standout thing for me that i was like wow this is a big difference and a big thing to deal with as a manager training training people and code reviewing them and helping them get better at their craft is a we talked about it a bit before i can't remember which episode but like it's a time sink it's a time sink and it's it's something that's like rewarding and really good for that person but as the and it's kind of rewarding for you but the benefits are very asymmetric. Yes. Like they benefit a lot and you benefit by getting a slight warm, fuzzy feeling in your stomach. And, and then longer term, better code, hopefully. Yeah. If, but that's if they stick around because the, these sorts of things take, I think two or three years ago, I would have said this was not true. And like I've trained a lot of people to code from scratch and help them get, I think, like it pushed them along quite a long way in terms of ability. And I do sit back and think, well, that's pretty cool. And now they have jobs doing other stuff. And it's kind of weird every day they wake up and they go to work and they do a load of coding. And a lot of what I taught them presumably goes into that and it's just happening and they're like earning money doing it. And it's Mm. like, that's cool. But on the other hand, I'm like, it's just, it's a real, like, I can't explain it. It's a slog is the word I'd use. Like every day, you know, when they're, when they're, when people are new to coding, like they can't help it. Like they, they don't know what they're doing yet and you have to help them learn. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. I can see where the 10 X programmer thing comes from talking about this because the difference, like you just said, the difference between someone that really knows what they're doing, that maybe has got say three to five years experience plus versus someone that's still on the learning curve. The difference is vast. And yeah. then uh, compared to someone who's three to five years plus and is like what they call a rock star, someone who's like really good, mm. you know, like a jazz, just like, just, <laughs> just very kind, very yeah. kind. But like someone really great, like the amount of work they can get done is like, I've worked with a couple of guys like that in the past and their managers just like love them. Yeah. Like, just g- give it to Jeff. He'll, yeah. he'll, he'll just, you know, beast it out. I guess from a manager point of view as well, the, the the those rock star or better developers, even if they're not got that much experience, that just get the job done, are easy to manage. And mm. thus, I guess it's that thing whether you know because they don't hassle you that much or don't take up too much of your time, you think they're great. I wonder whether that. I don't think I felt like that, but I wonder whether more generally people feel like that. Mm. And then there's that risk of that good person feeling like the manager never gives them any time. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I want to talk to them and he's never there or he's never got time for me. Yeah. And actually because they trust you enough to get on with it. Yeah. But it comes across badly in the sense that they're like, well, why do they not care that they want to chat to me? Spending time with people, managers spending time with people that work for them is quite important. Very important, yeah. It's very, like, for basically that reason like everybody like if you work for someone and you're like putting the effort in for them you want to know you want to speak to them and be like 
you know, how, how's it going? Do you yeah. like the work I'm doing? And even if like you're doing really good and the work's going really well, you still kind of, well, in myself, I know that I want that attention. And if I'm doing a really good job and then I get ignored because of that, yeah, it's, like, it's irritating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. It's, it's, yeah, like it's, it's like you're not, you're not the, causing many problems so they're like i oh, will skip the catch-up this week yeah, i think, I, that's, think I mean that's a that's a really common thing right? yeah because they're like everything is a-okay and then so they skip it but then you're like oh and it's just a human thing it's the same as being like a i'm sure it's like the same as being like a you know a football coach or something yeah like you just need to give all your players attention because you know they're all sort of prima donnas it's kind of <laughs> yeah. the same thing with COVID. yeah I, th- I think that's a really i think that's a really good it's a really good point i think it really is it's easy to get into that Having been the manager side, I can e- easily see that it's like, oh, well, we don't need to bother about catching up. But then, and then on the other side, feeling the frustration of that not happening. But the on the flips, like on on the side of the manager, a catch up is like an hour. Three, if you have three people working for you and you do weekly catch ups, that's three out of forty hours a week just gone. Yeah, like we have a friend and he was telling us the other day. I don't know if you were listening, but he was saying that he has like a team of people he has to catch with. He just has like a half day where he's like, it's just catch up. So really? it's like, yeah, it's like a tenth of his week. Yeah, it's just, I didn't hear that. It's just like catch-ups and it's like, yeah, they're not, I'm sure as a manager, catch-ups, they're more rewarding again for the people working for them. Yeah. What I would be interesting, because I don't have experience managing a team of people that are like really like high-end developers, if you know what I mean. That I think that would be maybe a different experience. I don't mm. know what that would be like. If you just, like I have some friends that I feel like if I was like running a team, like people I know from like university and stuff that are really good coders. If I was running a team and some of those people were working for me and I was like, I'll just give it to like Dave and he's just going to come back and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And the code review is just going to sail by because, you know, then maybe that would be a really different experience and you'd feel like empowered because you're like, all these people are doing all this work and we're like, yeah, a lot of the time it doesn't, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. It kind of feels, it's very... Yeah, the, one of the core things for about it for me is that, like, I think I take enjoyment out of doing a thing and being like, I did that and it's done. And and management, logically, you are getting that. Three, five people work for you. They do a bunch of work. Their work is kind of your work. In it's a, more indirect, isn't it? It's, for sure. it's indirect, but, like, you helped achieve that with them. Yeah. And there's five of them. So if you say 50% of it is like you or 30%, there's still five of them. So like 30% times five is more than 100%. So you've done more than if you sat there and coded it. Yeah. But it just doesn't feel as visceral to me, the enjoyment I get back yeah. from it. And that was one of the reasons that I was like, I'm not sure if this is something that I want to do, like long term. Yeah. Or how much of it I want to do. Yeah, it's definitely a it's definitely a change in mindset. It's that it's giving up the ownership of actually writing the lines of code. Right? Yeah. It's like I it's having that feeling of that you've achieved something without touch necessarily touching the keyboard to achieve the thing, but because you've been there sort of orchestrating, yeah, that that counts. And it's difficult, I think, as somebody who sits there actually implementing to then step away or, or do less and be like, oh, I'm now just orchestrating to have that same reward. Lo- I think. logically it makes sense like the person that runs like google is sort of transitively getting a lot of stuff done mm. but like on a human level but they should be doing they should be doing other things that also help i suppose that's the point isn't it so like i mean yeah. to be fair i was actually just looking at your doc again and um you know you've got a list here of what makes a good manager i just had a quick look at it while you were talking then and i'm thinking yeah if the manager's doing these things then 
They are being useful. What's the first thing on that list? <laughs> Shielding from crap, which is a re- it's actually a really important thing, though. A crap shield. Yeah. It's like, you know, it came come back to your point you said earlier, which is context switching and getting interrupted is really disruptive to a de- developer's yes. productivity. So, you know, if you've got in a if you've got, you know, five or six clients that everyone's working for, you don't want each client necessarily going to each individual person whenever they've got a random question. Yeah. You might be like, well, I'll tell you what, I will take that on as the manager. They'll come through me. Mm-hmm. And if I think it's not a ridiculous question, I'll come to you and ask you. Yeah. And just by providing that layer in between, he that person, the manager, can just bounce stuff off. It's yeah. rubbish. Or de- or delaying the question. Yeah, delaying it. Making making things asynchronous so that yeah. people... Because asynchronous communication for developers... So when people message you like maybe they send you a slack or an email and you can respond in your own time you don't whereas if they walk up to you mm. it's synchronous you've got to answer them that you, you know unless you're well things like slack sort of try and enforce synchronous communication yeah. which is why it, i think it it can be a bad thing yeah but you know you could just be like he could just be like i'll batch up all of the questions and yeah we'll, you know i'm catch up or stand lunch, up the next day yeah. we'll just do it then and it's like every question takes at least 24 hours to respond in basically. bigger organizations you get there are like if you look at it as in a slightly mercenary way, there are resources or employees that mm. are doing stuff, and you get a lot of competition where people are like, "We just want that guy to do this thing for us," and they're like trying to sort of sneak a bit of their time because they yeah. need a thing doing, and you cut, and but it's not really the thing they're supposed to be doing. But there's you know a good manager will sort of stop that kind of thing where it's appropriate. Sometimes it can be good. Yeah, could be good for the company, but a lot of companies are really siloed, and then it's like. Shielding like that and sort of taking care and letting you know what you should be working on can be yeah. good, can be bad, can stop you from getting exposure. Yeah, can keep you sort of in a back cupboard somewhere. And they're like, "This is really great work." And it's like, "Yeah, Worker B Seven did it," kind yeah. of thing. So, like, oh yeah, there's definitely pros and cons. I think in a functional team, it's definitely a pro, but in a more dysfunctional team, where perhaps stuff is getting directed to a certain person because they always get the interesting stuff. Yeah. And you never see it because you're not involved in those conversations. Yeah, for sure, that could be a problem. I think a good manager will probably promote you as well, actually. Like, in a bigger organisation, they'll be, like, telling their boss, you know, Dave did a really great job on that Mm. bit. Like, you know, he he or she is someone that we really want to keep. And But you, the thing is, as as someone that works for someone, you don't really know whether that's happening or not, unless they tell you. or the, yeah. Some managers I've seen will CC people on emails and be like, look at this great thing that we released today, thanks to like Jas's hard work. Yeah. And they'll, they'll have the boss in and then you'll be CC'd. So they're like, look, I'm doing this for you. I think- yeah, and, 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 and it's also a really, as somebody that needs to get feedback, if you're in that sort of promotion thing, it's the business people, the, the, the client being happy with what they get. And yeah. then also be able to give you feedback that way as well. I think that's very powerful. It's kind of, yeah, it's weird. It's like you want to be isolated, but not not so much that you just can't see the impact of the work you're doing. And you, you want to see that you can't, you kind of want controlled exposure mm. at certain times that they're like, we're going to go and walk over to like the people you built this for. And they're going to, you know, we're going to give them a quick demo and show them. But on the other hand, not let them pester you when you're halfway through. Yeah, you know, that's, that, that definitely code. is a risk, isn't it? It's Yeah, it's hard. But yeah, good manager will definitely do that. So what else we got on this list? So the second one is requirement setting, Yeah, which we've we've already nailed in we've, a previous episode. We've covered episode seven? Seven. Seven. Yeah. But the, yeah, pro, I, I'm realising as well as we're talking, managers in software, 
A lot of the things we're talking about with managers will be true for someone who works in UX or design. Some of this stuff like shielding, like the example you just gave is a UX example, not a coding example. But I kind of realized with a lot of software things, the manager ends up also sort of assuming project manager and requirements and stakeholder management, which is why this job is hard. (laughs) Hard, because it's like you kind of need to be a bit technical so you understand what the hell's going on. But you also need to do this other very multidisciplinary thing, which is going to involve... You basically communicating with people, so lots of meetings, being on the phone. A lot. A lot. Those two things, a lot. Yeah, like almost all the time. And yeah, at the end, it's, it's... I think the more meetings that manager is in, your manager is in, the better it is for you guys. Because yeah. it probably means he's going instead of somebody from the team. Yeah, something... My first boss is, I think, prob- probably the most stereotypical manager I've had in that sense where we worked in quite a big organization he would spend all days in meetings so that we didn't have to and he was a developer before and he didn't develop anymore but he was very good he like understood what we needed and yeah would set the requirements would translate things from the business yeah he was he's still there actually and he was he was he was really very good at at the time, I was like, well, you're not doing any proper work. But in retrospect, having worked yeah, in different yeah, things, yeah, yeah. I'm like... Yeah, as a junior, you think that would be what you would think, though, right? Because you're like, well, you're not doing any dev. I think the thing that is difficult with managers in a lot of big companies, what I just described, someone can fake that and do it in a non-productive way. Yes. And then that's like their job. And yeah, they're just yeah. middle management. And then that's where these companies end up with... Lots of inefficiency. Lots, lots of bloat in that middle... In that middle tier where yeah. it's like, what are all these people doing? Because... Actually, you've got more managers than developers, say. Yeah, for example, or, or an equal number is yeah. quite common, like one to one. And you're like, there are five of us writing the code and five of you managing us. Yeah, what are, you, what are like four of you doing? Yeah, <laughs> like, definitely. Like you know, my first place, big investment bank, that really suffered with that problem of a lot of people doing what, not a lot. It felt like what ratio do you think is about right? For like yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking that in my head and I didn't have a good number. I was going to say fifty percent, but. So Just, one, one manager, two developers. Yeah, but I think that would be great. I think for the 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 people being managed, because you'd feel like you'd have a one a one on one connection. That I think you know pragmatically, no organisation's ever going to have that. But maybe one manager to four. I think that really is the the sweet spot. I think after four, I think you felt this before. That I think you did. You get a fifth person on, and it got, suddenly got really hard. Got a fourth. Got a fourth, and it was. It was a big jump up. It was a big jump in just that little bit of extra time I had just to like not manage. Just just, It just became management as well. Mm. And then all of a sudden it was the only thing I was doing was just code reviews, helping people solve issues. I think it depends. I think that ratio is going to depend on seniority and how competent. I'm sure if I, I'm sure I could manage like 10 Google engineers, like I'm sure they'll be fine. Just be I wonder like, if you'd have a different set of problems. I get them all, you know, solving whiteboard problems all day. <laughs> like, can you just do this with a pen and paper? Yeah. <laughs> what I need is a generic algorithm to sort a binary tree. Who could help me? All the hands go up. <laughs> just be there. I'm there in the corner going, just do dot sort. That's built in. Right? It, it would be fine. Um, I think if you've got a situation where there's one person managing in quotes, although you can't see my air quotes, mm-hmm. like 10 people, they're obviously not actively managing those 10 people because there isn't enough time to do that, right? Yeah. I would say. I did the other, There are like other structures of companies with management. So something I read, there was a, 
I do I do not come armed with links, but there is a Harvard Business Review thing that I read, which I'm going to have to now find. Yeah, ba- you're going ba- to have to I'm pretty sure I read it. <laughs> Could be true. Which is that people whose managers can do the job that they're doing. So, like, if you if you like couldn't come to work anymore your manager could sub in for you and do your job pretty effectively maybe not quite as well as you do it but they, they could they could do it mm. those people are way more happy than people that have managers like way more happy in their jobs than people that have managers that just couldn't do their job at all because they're just a manager right so like you're coding like kdb stuff your manager could also do a bit of kdb has a history in kdb you'd be happier yeah. than someone who was like a project manager Yes. With a non-technical background. Yeah, yeah. Because when you say the combobulator doesn't connect to the whatever, they're like, I get, yeah, I understand. I've been there. Like, oh, they can even under- completely understand what you mean, let alone even empathize with you. Yeah. Because I've seen it a lot in people that are non-technical that manage where they can't tell the difference between someone pulling the wool over their eyes and a legitimate problem. So yes. they get really suspicious. You come to them with like a legit problem and they're like well, what, how did we not know about this last week? Whereas if you were talking to someone else, they'd be like, oh gosh, that's come out of nowhere. Like, yeah, oh, that's a really good point. We never could have predicted that. Yeah, it's that's like, a really good point. I think, and I think that's super true. And it's particularly true for programming because it's so abstract. Yeah. And some jobs, uh, which are a bit more generic, if someone's job that's less specialist, even if you're not that specialist, you could probably do their job anyway. So then you can manage them even if you've never done that job before. Yeah. So like... I wonder... I wonder not to offend any infrastructure people, but if I was thinking that with infrastructure mm. on, a, on a tech side, right? Like it feels, you can you can reason about infrastructure problems a lot easier to somebody who doesn't really know that much about infrastructure because you're talking about things that people are aware of, right? Like mm. computers, servers, screens, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. I reckon... I don't know, maybe it's a bad example. We but. could do we could do that, but I think if I asked my mum, I think she'd... Or <laughs> to manage people who are looking after infrastructure. Yeah, because she might not appreciate those things but more people will appreciate this coding is particularly abstract yeah it's yeah like, i guess anything with it or tech is is there's some level of prior yeah. knowledge yeah yeah and it's quite big for a lot of it actually you've got to be you've got to be careful now because you're going to insult some industry if you come up with an example because yeah. you're like anyone could do that we could just pick an industry that like just programmers don't like and then it's pretty safe but i don't know what that industry is maybe project managers I don't, I don't know. let's move it on let's yeah, move it on but it's it's yeah having having people that um understand what you're that's doing that's a good point oh, that's actually uh, thinking about it that's a really good point yeah of the people i've thought were my best managers and the people who knew the most about either uh, about the technology specifically yeah i think there's a new so the traditional management structure as well for tech, like software people, is you have a manager who maybe doesn't write much code and just manages a team of developers. But I think there's another structure which is becoming more prevalent and, in my opinion, seems a bit more effective, which is that you have quite senior developers who still develop and do a little bit of management, but maybe they don't really have like a load of reports or something. So yeah, more like a mentor for the team. or Yeah, or maybe like buddying up yeah, or like, yeah. and I think in some ways... And then you can have more of just a people manager alongside them. Is that yeah, you? maybe. I'm trying to think of examples, but I, I don't know. I guess companies like Google, they do have managers. Yeah. And they also hire quite senior developers. Yeah. So like their most junior developer at Google is probably not... I mean, I'm sure they probably hire grads and stuff, but realistically, mm. they hire pretty good talent. So I'm... Yeah, I, d- I don't. I kind of feel that like that is more effective 
in some ways. I think I think I, I, th- I could definitely agree with that. Uh, my my personal gut feeling is that so like when we were running my company before, I didn't want to hire like some dedicated project manager person because I actually think that there's just so much room for inefficiency and confusion. And if everybody's technical and everybody's doing useful work, it just feels like a better situation to me. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like always keep management as lean as possible because it's, I don't know. Ideally what you do is you hire people that can adapt and have those skills, but also that code. So like they're good at coding, but But like distribute all of those things that you would expect a good manager to do across a set of people who are also developers. Who are developing. I feel like that's probably... The problem is with that is that there's a limited source of... There's a limited supply of developers and then there's a very limited supply of developers that can also do those things. And also want to. And also want to. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... That makes it very hard. But I think that probably is the most effective way to run an organisation. Maybe spread the load of management to a bunch of people. Because then they're directly responsible for like the thing they're working on, but they're maybe communicating with the stakeholder for it. And it's you see it across lots of different organizations where that happens and it tends to work pretty well. Because they then have a lot of autonomy over their work. Yeah. Because they're they're basically in charge of it and they're not just saying to their boss, It's late, I'm sorry. They're also the boss. So they're like, Oh, I need to get that done. That makes sense. So the, <laughs> so the next one in the list is um, being a good human, <laughs> which I think is a fair requirement. Quintessential. Yeah. I haven't come across... I've been fortunate that I've come, not come across a lot of people that I would actually classify <laughs> as a bad human. I thought you were going to say the inverse. I haven't had a manager that's been a good human. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't come across many. No, no, I was trying to think what I would even... I, I've not across come across many people at all in my career that I would actively say is a bad are a bad person. Would you... I mean, when I say good human, I mean, there are hopefully aren't that many bad humans. I mean, treat their, like, take responsibility for their staff and treat them, like, as if they were their own. I don't know how to say that. but they look, Like look, a manager who treats everybody as if they weren't, we weren't being, they weren't being managed by that person. Yeah. Like, so that, they, like, genuinely look out for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, fair. Like, you, you kind of feel that they've got your back. I think mm. that's something in a manager that I would really want. Yeah, it's like, tr- it's the trust I get. It's trust, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So like yeah you're yeah if you're up for promotion you're like that person's going to put in a good word and do everything they yeah, can yeah like but, a, yeah so if you yeah if you said your manager like look we're going to put you up for promotion you you feel like that manager's going to push for you to get it then that's a good yeah. good person right whereas somebody who's like resentful that you've asked for it or something yeah. means you're like oh, I don't really trust that he's actually going to set, do the right thing I think not to be too corny with it but I think um, like. Being nice to people and building trust with them is a, is basically free. So like, and I think it makes a, hum- it makes a huge difference. It makes a huge yeah. difference to the way human beings are wired. If you like the person and you're like, this person is behaving in my best interests, then they'll do better work for you and work harder. And so, and also I've worked in a few few scenarios where I didn't feel that was the case, or I, well, you didn't. You felt like somebody wasn't looking out for you. Yeah. Or. Yeah, they, well, the one that gets me more is people that, like, they'll manage me, but they're not super competent. That's that's the worst. But, yeah, I think... <laughs> no, I think that's a good one. I mean, it, it sort of le- leads into the other one here that you've got as well, which is protect and stand up for the team. Yeah. It's a, it's a similar thing, right? Yeah. Like, if, if the team has a bad release... And it causes some big problems. You you know you want a manager that's going to be that's going to stand up for you guys for us the team and you know be like look we we screwed up but we need to do better and take some of the flack from the business and hide like not every the person who's actually 
you know, messed up the release doesn't need to get an earful from the business, right? Mm. Like some places that will happen. But it's a lot nicer I get, for the team if you know that the manager's taking that earful for you guys. The buck, the buck ultimately stops with the manager if they're responsible for other people. And I think yeah. a manager that like owns it and commits to it. Yeah. It's basically, it's just, it's leadership. It's leading. Yeah. It is... I heard, um, I don't know if I told you this already, but I heard uh, DHH, uh, who's the guy that did Ruby on Rails, they mm-hmm. have a podcast now. And they were saying, he was saying that when you screw something up at work and you need to like communicate with stakeholders, he was like, rather than, you just basically need to commit to your mistake and go with the worst case, like, oh my God, we really messed up. And like say to people, we're really sorry, but that was like a three hour outage and it's a complete disaster. And we're, you know, maybe not overdo it, but just completely pretend like it's the end of the world in the way that you communicate it with them. Because then people say, oh, it's just a software for a few hours. It's fine. Whereas if you say we were down for three hours, but it's not that, you know, it wasn't that bad. It was just a three hour outage. People say, I really needed it in that three hours. And what the hell are you guys doing? Right. And he was basically saying, if you just, if you the have a mistake, yeah, just like commit to it own it completely mm. and just protect like think like what's how bad how badly could this have affected someone or how much could it annoy them and assume that's how everybody feels about it in the yeah. communication then people tend to be like dude you know like yeah it's just a it's just a piece of project management software like who cares like you know it's a few hours mm. you know and that people respect it but I, th- I think again that's a kind of leadership yeah but it's a good yeah little- that's that's true i think it's important to and part of that is is taking the, pra- the the praise and the, the the issues as a team right and not just you know sending some you know junior kid up <laughs> to be like yeah yeah you screwed up off you go to talk to the guys that are really annoyed with the three-hour outage yeah which is horrendous but i've i've definitely seen other teams around particularly when i was in my big place where that happened more yeah. where you you'd expect a call from the you know md or whatever that had, that you know you'd, you'd offended or screwed over and that's just terrible. Like, it's not a great... There's no team team culture there, right? And it also then means that the team, individual team members themselves, then won't look, at, won't look out for each other. Yeah. If you're all there as one unit, you know, if one guy screws up, the other guys are going to be like, look, don't worry, we'll help you out. That kind of stuff. But if it's that sort of each person is worried that they're going to be the one that gets called up to get a bollocking, yeah. each person's going to feel like they're going to a lot more sort of look after themselves, right, and not look out for other people. So... It, the cult, the culture of the team can be so different in those situations. Yeah, I think in general, team is sense of team is good and important, mm. and I think it and the, the leadership of the manager, the leadership from the manager helps set a lot of that. Yeah, if you if you're in a good, same as if you have a good manager in a crappy job, if you're in a crappy company with a good team, mm. then basically it's as if you're in a good company for a, a yeah, lot. Because you of don't things. interact a lot with people yeah. outside of your team. If the core people you interact with are awesome, and the vice versa is true, you could work for a great company and a rubbish team. You don't get on with half the people in it and your manager's rubbish. Yeah. It's going to be a disaster, even if the company's like the best run company on the face of the earth. Yeah. What's next? Clear signals for good and bad behavior. Good well, I was thing. thinking you just bring a dog clicker to work. So when <laughs> someone does something good, you just. <laughs> let them know appropriately. Oh, I see. or give them an M&M or yeah. something, something like Catch. that but I think no seriously I, that, I, 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 I think good managers do do that if you if someone does something that they don't like they'll let them know and if yeah, they do they something they do. do like then they whereas if you say nothing then people we were talking of an instance earlier on where I think the 
the manager needs to give a clear signal. Yeah, needs to give a clear signal to to the person and the team about something that's happening that's probably like suboptimal for the team. Just on a business level, it's not even like a like a you know it's like with code reviews are the same. If someone's doing something in code reviews consistently, you don't like. But you're not letting them know, then they're not going to improve. So you just need yeah, to because they can't possibly know, right? So yeah, everybody should get at least. Well, everybody gets one chance for free, and then like on you tell them the thing, and then hopefully they take it on board and don't do it anymore, or massively reduce their rate of doing it. Mm. But probably two. I think it depends on the person. I've I've had a lot of people work for me where it actually takes two or three times, and it's not that they're stupid or they they're not taking it on board. It just seems to take two or three times, but I think it varies on the person. Yeah. I noticed that consistently over all four people that work for me. They, I, I have not yet had anyone work for me that I would tell them something once and I'd be like, I'm never going to see that happen again. It depends It depends what it is. Yeah. But I've actually noticed sometimes, with co- this is with code, not like behavior or anything. Yeah. But, yeah. but hopefully behavior, if you hire good people, is not. The end of, you know, you don't have those sorts of things. But I think nipping it in the bud and just being really clear on how... To, because when people work for it, for a manager, you, you're working for a company, but really it feels like you're working for that person. Yeah. So your job is to basically make them happy. So if they indicate to you what to do, that has, should have quite a strong incentive. <clears throat> and just just on that, that, when we're talking about sort of call, you know, uh, dealing with bad behaviour in the team... Um, as a manager, the most difficult things are the difficult conversations. Yeah. You know, when things are going well and everybody's ticking along nicely, you know, management can seem quite easy. It's when you get to these situations where, and this is then where you see where a good manager is, a good manager will take on those uh, issues and try and fix them, right? So, you know, somebody is taking advantage of working from home and everybody's moaning about it. Mm-hmm. Like that's a good example where a manager needs to step in yeah. and tell, you know, to speak to that guy or per, or woman and be like, look, you can't be can't be do, doing this anymore. And similarly, you know, the the most difficult thing as a manager is, you know, if you have to actually let somebody go, yeah. you know, fire them or make them redundant, whichever. Um those those are difficult situations and I think, you know, some some people are as a bad manager, will avoid those discussions. I've got a great example from the current place, um, which we might have to cut out, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, so there was a guy that we that worked in our company and he decided to relocate to Paris on it just because he wanted to. He was French and had French family, <laughs> but he was working in the London office. Right. We don't have any... Surprise, in I'm in France now. So he was like, I need, I'm moving to France. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't resign. He just went. He just went, Which, and then said, "What? Like I'm, I'm working from here now." Yeah. Do they have an office there? No, no just from no, home. no, just just remotely. Or whatever. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> he didn't have any. He didn't felt. He felt like he didn't have enough to. He was a sales guy. He didn't have enough to do. So he was like, "I'm just going to move to where I need my family to be." Wait, he's a sales guy. Yeah. Does this mean he talks to people in person? Well, on the phone a lot, I guess. But but I think that the, the 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 summation of the story was that he was a sales guy that felt like. He didn't need to do any sales because we weren't selling anything. Mm. He decided to move to France for his family. But our, the boss, he was so bad at this sort of stuff, he didn't fire him. They didn't fire him? No. So eventually, six months later, or however long it was, the guy in France had to resign to be like, well, I'm not, I haven't been working for you guys for six months. Six months. That's a, that's a mad story. Yeah. So he had to... He had to, he had to resign and be like, I would like to, resign. but not the manager, the boss himself. Never no. would have that difficult conversation, which is 
you've moved to Paris. You now can't work for <laughs> you them anymore. You clearly aren't here. Yeah, all the um, time. It was unbelievable. That's mad. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's that's a fantastic example of somebody being horrendous manager that just won't have just actively avoid those difficult conversations mm. uh, that is human nature to want to avoid them i've had a couple of difficult conversations over the years oh no i'm not saying i'm not saying anybody enjoys having them no but if you want to be good at, at being a manager you have to i think it's like you were saying before, you have to just sort of own those difficult decisions but look yeah. i have to do this it's my team i can't turf this off to somebody else or hr or somebody to you know you i think for me it's like i'll feel that i'm shying away from a thing because it's I don't want to do it because it's a natural thing to not want mm. to do it. And then I'll try and catch that and be like, I just need to do this because... Yeah. And sometimes it's just, a you know, like ripping a Band-Aid off. Right? You just got yeah. to do it. A lot of them and are. And the longer you think around it, the worse it's going to be. And you just have to have that difficult conversation. Yeah, it's it's very... It can be very... Di- and I think as well, sometimes as the manager, these things are much harder. Than, they can actually be harder than they are for the person yeah. that it's happening to. Because you don't know how they're going to react as the manager. And a lot of times I've been like... They're going to like freak out. They're going to get really... And they're just like, oh, okay. In fact, that's been the most common thing is they're just kind of like, all right, yep, yeah. fine. But you are like freaking out. Like, oh, I'm, this is this could be a really big thing for this person. Yeah, and we've... <clears throat> when I was managing some some somebody, they weren't performing very well. Or they, they just felt very distracted a lot. And the code that we're writing was really bad. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, I don't... I feel like we've hired this person and it they, they weren't they seem to be very positive and it just seems to have gone off the rails a bit and so we actually had to we sat down with him and had had this conversation and we're like look you know what's been going on feel like you're not working very effectively you're, you're very distracted your mind's everywhere and it turned out that actually he was having he'd been having some, it was like an anniversary of a you know family death or something yeah and it was that sort of like you know personal issue that he, he would never tell us you never just announced. But you, but you noticed. But now, yeah, but then the fact that we'd noticed and asked him about it privately, yeah. me and, the, and my boss, and he'd been honest with us, it was like, okay, that Fine. makes a lot more sense. You can deal with that. Now we can try and work around these issues that you're having at this, you know, however long it was, this period that, you know, he felt that he couldn't really focus. And it was like, well, that's fine. We can, you know, we're happy to deal with it because obviously we want you to stay working here. But yeah. we were thinking that... You just didn't like working here anymore, so we had we were thinking yeah, about yeah, having yeah. to like make you redundant. And stuff. I, I think being approachable as a boss is pretty good as well for those yeah. sorts of reasons because yeah, you, people have bad like where work performance is affected for all sorts of different reasons. Mm. You know, like anniversaries of things happening is like one that I think is quite common. Just different things like you know health issues, other things, family issues at home. Yeah, and it's if the boss is approachable and you don't think they're gonna judge you and they'll just be like you know they're a decent human being and they'll be like yeah okay i understand that is a massive win for the person because these things you know as a boss if someone comes to you and says you know you know like my my mum or dad's sick and i need to you know i'm having a really tough time caring for them or whatever you would you'd be like oh okay like Sorry to hear that, you know. Get that I, understand, I understand, yeah, go do what you need to do. But for that person, it's a massive deal. Yeah. Like, really disproportionate, like, very asymmetrical. They're, for them, it's, like, everything. Yeah. And for you, you're like, okay, yeah, fine, just do what you need to do, you know. Because like, most of the time, it just might mean their performance isn't going to be quite right. And it's better to know. Yeah. But it is... It's better to know, and then you can just adjust your expectations accordingly. And if depending on the size of the organisation, you might be like, look, you're going to have to take... You, you should take this time away as you know whatever you know 
as leave rather than coming in because coming in doesn't actually make any sense. You know, those sort of things that you can at least, you can have those discussions about how to make that person's life easier yeah. rather than them just sitting there struggling and then the manager being equally frustrated, you know, frustrations both sides. Yeah. And it's like, well, let's just what, talk it out. What do you think about managers that are like, uh, I don't know how to word it, but like some managers are much more, I would say old fashioned is the word I would use, but they're very conscious about when their staff are there. If it's on site, they're like, Oh, um, I was in like being in... 10 minutes late every day or like yeah <laughs> those kind of things that I, what, what do you think about yeah I, it's this is this is tough so I've been on both sides of the fence and I feel that my opinion differs depending on which side of the fence I'm on <laughs> <laughs> but I think so I would say having absolutely accurate start and end times of the day is obviously ridiculous and horrendously outdated. What I do appreciate as a having managed people is them being in the office, assuming it's a role where you're expecting them to be in the office most of the time. Yeah. I There's few things I would expect. And if I was doing it again as a manager, I would sort of set these as rules. I would say, I don't mind what time you come in and what time you go home, but you need to be in for some minimum number of core hours that I'm going to be there as the manager. Yeah. So you can't if you come in at six a.m. because you don't, you wake up really early. That's fine. But everybody else is going to be in from nine to five. So you need to be in say minimum eleven till three. You know whatever the hours are. Right. If you're gonna if you're coming in, at least make sure you your your hours overlap with those hours. Yeah. Because a lot of the time in a team you need to talk to people, and if you're having a role where everyone's in the office, you being in is a big deal. Uh, overlap yeah. is important. Yeah. Um. So that's fine. And then I, I, I'm more than happy to allow people to work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I'd say is I, you need to give me more than... If you're going to work from home tomorrow, you need to let me know the day before, mm. preferably before you go home. Because basically that just stops people in the morning being like, I can't be asked. I'm going to stay at home. Yes, they have to plan it. You have to plan it. So yeah. as long as it's planned, I have no issue with it because it means that you're, you're either consciously making an effort to work from home because you don't want to do anything... Or, more likely, you actually have something you genuinely just need to be at home for, even if it's just yeah. a delivery. Particularly if you're in a house, you don't have a concierge. Yeah. You need a big... There's something big turning up. For 10 minutes of the day or half an hour of the day, you might be unavailable. But the rest of the day, you're going to be logged in. I, I'm happy with that. that. Those are my sort of rules that I've come up with yeah, over time. Yeah, the, the core hours thing. So I was thinking, when I asked you the question, I get annoyed when I work for people or I know people that work for people and they're sticklers about the time, mm. especially with... Oh, I, I don't like it either. I think the core hours thing... I think if I like ran a company on site, I think it would have core hours. I think maybe I'd have them... Perhaps everybody needs to be there by like 10. Yeah, something like that. I, I was being... I yeah, but like, yeah, like 10 till 4. If, and if people want to leave at 4, I think... In the past, I had a number of hours that people had to work. So like you need to work like 8 hours... And you need to overlap this core hours. Mm. But I do think that is slightly inconsistent with the idea which I hold for myself, which is that it's about output and how much good work someone does for you. Yeah. It's not about when it gets done or how, how or like the fact that they sit in front of a computer for eight hours is a little bit irrelevant yeah. if, if all the work gets done. Because the thing that happens then is just in a na- like human beings are quite incentive based. What's your incentive to do all your work? if you still have to sit in front of the computer at yeah. work, like 
you can get it all done in three hours in the morning. You know, sit there for five hours or, and your boss, you can't do whatever you want. You can't just sit there playing solitaire, which is obviously how I'd spend my time <laughs> if I finished all my work because your boss would be like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. And then they'd be like, well, I'll give you more work. So the incentive for finishing all your work quickly is to get given more work, which is kind of mad. So I, I kind of think it should just be, but also quantifying a sensible amount of work to give someone. Uh, yeah, I th- and I think, I think the problem you have there though is that it, in most places the list of work is never ending so yeah then it's a question of then for me it's a question of that person's initiative yeah so if you nail you know you rush through all your stuff there's always more to be done that person should be taking the time to be like oh there's other stuff i can be doing which helps the team and that comes back to the team culture right but the problem i have a little bit is when i work as a developer I almost have like a certain amount of stuff that I can get done, but I've noticed that I can get it done in eight hours or I can get it done in like four. But that doesn't mean that I can do that much work twice, yes. four hours in a day. Yeah. There's almost like, there's some sort of like natural capacity, mm. which is not necessary. It is linked to time, but it's a little bit loose. It's like, I'm going to like get in. I'm really focused. I'm like, I wake up in the morning. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do. I get there. I start smashing it into the keyboard and it's done yeah. because I'm like, I want to finish and go and do this other thing. But I couldn't then be like, right, reset, it's 12 o'clock. Let's do the same thing again. It just doesn't work. Yeah, like that. no, that's true. And I think I think that makes it that makes it that difficult. Having those fixed hours, that's what makes that so hard, right? Is that um and it works actually, I was gonna say it works against the company as well, right? So if if you're saying you have to work nine to five every mm-hmm. day, on a quiet day, people get annoyed because at three they've finished and they can't go home. Yeah. But similarly where that then bites the company in the arse is that if there's some sort of critical production issue at 4pm <laughs> just go home everyone at 5 is like well I'm going home yeah. because what, what's the incentive to stay later because you're never going to make that back yeah so you could be like you know so and that's what's the flexibility is good right if something bad is happening in an evening you know people will be like you know what I don't mind staying till 7 today because you know on Friday it'll be quiet nothing's going on we'll just all leave at 3 or something you know what I mean there's that it's give and take you allow people to not be there certain hours because sometimes you might need them to be there hours that wouldn't they wouldn't normally be there. Yeah, I've had some. Uh, when I came into asking that question, I was thinking, don't be too much of a stickler. But then I did that when we were working remotely. When I started my company, we had a, f- a few people working for us, some of whom didn't stay, and people. Some people were just kind of taking the piss of it. Like yeah. So somebody, one guy asked to a guy, I hadn't seen him come online. At 11, I sent him a message being like, oh, you know, are you working today? And he went, oh, yeah, my friends come over today. So I'm, I'm just not working. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, that's, that's... Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm paying you to work. So you what, need to work. <laughs> you probably just need to like do it. But yeah. It, but that's, so that's the problem. That's, I mean, that's always the problem with working from home is, it's a nice benefit for people who genuinely need to be at home but mm. will also work. But it's very, very easy for people to not do anything all day. Mm-hmm. Really easy. And that's, I don't know how you fix that problem. It's hard. Because it, you, you, well, the one way, the, a potential way to do it is that you earn the right to work from home. Mm-hmm. So you could say, you get a new person joining, it's like, you can't work from home for six months or until, you know, we're confident that you'll, you know, we trust you enough that you'll get stuff done when you're from home. I think that's, I think giving people working from home straight away and being really flexible about it is risky because I think it allows people to take, take advantage of it. Working, working from home is a difficult 
complex topic, but I think. Well, no, I th- I think it's separate though from you know if it's if it's an in person job that allows working from home, that's where the risk is. I think if it's a, a if you're taking a job where you're expected to entirely work from home, I don't know if it's the same problem. I don't know. I, I've definitely had different phases of my career. When I had my first job, I worked from home occasionally in like a big corporate job which was on site. And basically, any time I worked from home, it was surprising if I really got anything done. Mm. But since then, when I run my when I run my own company or I'm working on like my own thing, working from home is completely fine because the motivation is just there. You want to get the thing done. It doesn't really matter where you are. Mm. So then that's fine. And then there's kind of contracting. If it's entirely remote, I think you're right. You you kind of start thinking you might have a bad day where you don't get much done, but then you're like. If I don't get anything done this week, it's going to look. Yeah. I think if it's out, if, if you're measuring employees by their output, the thing is, the thing is when you're in an office, there's a strong temptation for management to not measure employees by their output. They measure them by the fact that attendance. they're there. Attendance. Yeah. attendance becomes like the, that person attends. And you see it more in, because Mrs. Rich is, uh, trader it's a bit more old school they have to be in by 7 30 yeah and her her one of her bosses she's had in the past has like he was just an absolute stickler for that but i you know 7 30 7 35 was like not good enough yeah 7 30 that's when they start and I, I think my feeling and this is not really a very good answer on this whole what rules should you have and how fluid you should be i think you need some rules just to make people understand that there are rules yeah even if those rules are a little bit arbitrary. Because when yeah. I had no rules, people... Will just take advantage. Yeah. And it, maybe it was because in my case, those people were very junior and hadn't really had proper jobs before. And so they just didn't understand the set of rules that probably most people listening just yeah. know. Like, yeah. like if you have a job, you turn up. Like, yeah. <laughs> those kind of, <laughs> that, those that kind rule, of things. Yeah. <laughs> just because you're working remotely doesn't mean that you can't... You can just not do it mm. on like a bit of a whim. So it's kind of... Yeah, it is. I've had a few things like that where it's a few like things that really surprised me. And then I was like, right. So then we wrote the rules down. And after that, we didn't really have any problems. So what were the rules that you wrote down? What were those rules? Then? A core set of hours with okay. a start, and then it, which were, were a bit broader than yours, but similar, like yeah. t- 10 till 4 or something. Yeah. I thought mine were a bit lax. but They had to do eight hours, but I, I never really would enforce that. I, I try, I, it's very hard, I guess, to enforce it. Well, yeah, working remotely, you, you basically, if someone sets their mouse to twitch every five minutes and keeps their phone on them they could work five hours a day and i'd have none the wiser and if i was genuinely none the wiser i don't care like they've obviously done enough work that i'm like this is fine i I tend it's quite easy being technical you just measure people with pull requests you just you see well some codes come in it looks like they've done some good work and it's like working towards what we wanted and the rate that i'm getting pull requests and how much code is in those pull requests or how much functionality or how tricky it is seems about right it's quite hard for someone to mug you off with that they, they, they can. I guess the problem there would be that you know somebody could be genuinely stuck on a quite a difficult problem. Yes. And you would say, well, you haven't committed anything for two days, but you're like, look, I've been really struggling. Yeah, but the, you would expect if they were really struggling that they'd probably message you and be like, look, I'm, can you? I'm yeah. Looking at this. At yeah. The, yeah. No, I agree. So I they agree. they could like fake you out by like coming up with a fake problem, sitting on it for like five hours, then messaging you and saying, I'm stuck with this problem, which they're not really stuck on. But like most people, if given that or the choice of just like doing some work most people will probably just do the work because it's like more rewarding anyway they're not gonna yeah i think i think you know it's the people people that as a manager people who don't people that are working for you that don't ask for help are people that you 
you know, that's a problem. That's a problem behavior, right? As a, as a, somebody you're managing, you want people to ask for help as soon as they've got problems. I want them to ask. Mine's more nuanced than that. I want them to ask. I don't want them to ask for help immediately. Mm. My standard rule of thumb for very junior developers is try it for about two hours. Yeah. And then if you've been struggling for more than four, you need, you, at four, you need to ask. The reality is different because it depends whether they can figure it out on their own. Because if they can figure it out on their own, there's a really big benefit to that because yeah. they're basically yeah, like absolutely. learning how to problem solve. And they're, so they're more likely to be able to solve future problems. Yeah. And that's like an important skill set. But on the other hand, and it also varies by person. You've got the askers <laughs> who <laughs> hit that two hour line and they're like, hello. <laughs> or even the askers, if you don't give them a rules like that, will ask after like five minutes. Yeah. But that's, but that because it, it, those are the people that, they won't necessarily. They don't necessarily want to think for themselves, right? They just want. They go. I can't yeah. do it, so immediately yeah. ask. Whereas actually, they can do it if they put their mind to it. One of my brothers who I trained, he is the ultimate non-asker, pretty much. As in, he would he just not ask ever. He would not ask. He uh, he would normally get there most of the time, but you would have to catch up with him and be like, because sometimes people, especially when they're junior, they can get stuck on things that they could never get unstuck on. And it's very hard for them to t- distinguish the difference between a thing that they're one insight away from getting and something where they're lacking a core understanding of a thing and they're just buggered yeah. and they're never going <laughs> to yeah, get it. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, and it's very hard because they're so deep in it and they don't know what they don't know that yeah. they, it's different as you get more experience. Like you and I will see a problem and you will know the problems that are the peaches that you're just like, uh, I need help. Yeah. Like, uh, or, you know, like I've had a few, I've been working with the Stripe APIs uh, recently and I have emailed their support a few times because I'm like, I look at it for five minutes. I'm like, I've used these APIs quite a lot. I generally feel I know what I'm doing as a developer and I am none the wiser. I'm like five minutes in, but I, I message them also because their time is free for me and I don't pay for it. <laughs> so it's, Well, you pay for it when you start using it, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but it's like, there's no cost for me. Like I'm not, it's not like I'm messing over, like screwing over my teammate by yeah. taking up their time. So it's kind of like my threshold for asking is pretty low because I'm like, well, Jeff is going to email me back. And yeah, yeah, that's true. Whatever. So you kind of got to think of the flip side, but. That's a good point. I think, um, yeah, if you're too too open to answering questions, you get into that that dangerous game of everybody asking you everything yeah, and all the like, time. Like you say, they're being lazy. Yeah. What what you want is, I would say you want, you want the struggle, but you want the right amount of struggle. Mm. Just like, because good learning comes through the right amount of struggle. Yeah. Basically, basic, you don't really learn much if everything's easy, but you don't learn much if you're playing on a setting which is so hard, you just you can't do anything. So yeah. you and, do, you, and you don't learn if somebody just tells you the answer. No. So you, you kind of learn in a knowledge-based way, but you don't learn how to solve a similar but different problem that crops yeah. up in the future. And programming is basically being able to solve any problem that you see because you know how to solve problems at a very general level. Yeah. And so, yeah. But yeah, good managers will probably let people struggle that much and maybe detect if they're not asking and try and set boundaries and be like, look, Four, four hours is a good rule of thumb. Four hours is a long time to sit and look at something. But what's really interesting about what you said on the struggling and also on the rules of work or rules of, of being in work or, or time is that you actually you actually spent the time to write them down and make them very clear. Because in most places that you work, that stuff is just inferred. Yeah. You work out because you work there for a month and you go, mm, people seem to work from home every now and again. Or it's in the contract, but it's ridiculous. That's the other one. Oh, I'm, I, oh yeah, so I see. They'll be like, you must wear. And then there's like oh, all this, yeah. but that's not really the truth. It's they, it's like a rent 
agreement when you're renting a house and they're like, you may not have a religious gathering in your living room or a political <laughs> gathering. You're like, you don't know what I'm doing in my house. Like, go yeah. away. Like, come on. But like, they have the same sorts of things where they're like, you cannot do this. I guess, I guess um, you know, it's, I guess, related to that. But yeah, like you're saying, is like what, what the uh, attire is in the... Yeah, oh, man. The my, it's got worse since we started because... So like attire used to be simple because I think business casual because it was that well because it was more just biz- business so like especially in investment banks yeah. it's easy yeah but nowadays it's more like yeah business casual or casual so going to job interviews oh I see. and things like that you're like what do I wear if I go to a job interview I have to message whoever I need to be like what do I what do I normally say what do you wear which you know. <laughs> Comes across a little bit. I'm not wearing anything. What are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, well, uh. Uh, okay, but like, and then you want to go like one level up from that. But it is, it is difficult. So I, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, if I, I mean, if I was interviewing now, I would never wear a tie anymore. But I think when I was starting yeah. out, I definitely wore a tie definitely, to every interview. It's that sort of thing. Everything's getting a little more casual. My first job, pretty corporate, big bank. The engineers, but not everybody in the whole business, but the engineers now wear smart casual. Yeah. Which true. is a really big change. I yeah, think it's yeah. a positive change. Because, well, I don't... I've worn, but what I, you wear doesn't affect the output of what you produce. I think it, I think it does. A really? bit. Yeah, it affects my mindset. I wouldn't take a job where I had to wear a shirt anymore because they're uncomfortable. It's my first... I put, you need to buy more expensive shirts. I went to a, <laughs> you got that satin silk just grazing you as you sit there. Just broken. hugging myself. <laughs> I went to I've been to like I went to a wedding recently and I was sat in my suit. Yeah. And I just thought, absolutely not. This is after about I think I walked downstairs having got dressed and just went nope I, and as soon as the wedding was done i was like i'm just taking all of this off this is horrendous I, I don't i don't know i do feel like um but i think i think there's a the only good thing about something like business casual is that it, it's that sort of uniform effect like they talk about in schools and stuff where mm. everybody wearing a similar thing is has some advantages yeah um but similarly i would say like when i was at the startup we just wore whatever we want now i decided to be a bit smarter but that's maybe because I just felt... Again, I, think, I guess it's the manager setting a standard. T-shirt and a tie. Was yeah, T-shirt and a tie. <laughs> By coding tie. It's like tie on, work tie. <laughs> just as I sit down on the desk. Um, but I feel like as a senior person, in, you know, as a manager, you can, you can set that a little bit. So you're like, you know, if I was turning up in a suit for that startup, I guess the other guys would be like, have I got to wear a suit? What a great experiment. I don't know if that... Yeah, maybe that wouldn't have worked. But I was like... I think, it, and like when it was summer, I wore shorts because that's you know the fact that you can't let them breathe. I mean, it was, but that's the funny thing. Like if you have people that are wearing smart clothes, like business casual in the UK, yeah, okay, most of the year that's fine. But if you're anywhere like Singapore or mm-hmm. warm countries like that, you've got guys wearing suits in thirty-five degree heat. I don't know how people do. It's mad when I go to places like that and I see them. I'm like, so the, what are you doing? The, the resigning. The, one of the strong memories I have the first time I went to Singapore was it was bright sun, red hot. It's always so. It's quite and humid very there. humid. Yeah. So every, a lot of the things shops are underground, and we were we were walking outside, and there was a guy um, in the shade of one door, and then he ran through the sun to get to the <laughs> next place. It was like the opposite of what you'd expect in the UK. Normally yeah. you'd do that because it was it's raining. raining. He was doing it to stay out of the sun. And it's like, you've got to be... I mean, it's a, again, it's a very old school... You know, it's similar to the hours. It's a, it's an old school thing to be like, you need, everyone needs to be smart and everyone needs to be... 
there's nothing wrong with being presentable, but you can be presentable casually as well. As, you know, you could you can be like, look, no flip flops. That's probably the only rule I'd probably yeah. set. What's the the three Bs? Uh, bums, bellies, and something else. Breasts. Don't yeah. Know. So like, not don't show any. Don't show those. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a school rule, maybe for us. I I don't I I kind of think that the whole like uniform at work thing or like a quite strict dress code is for me it's a bit of a negative. It's kind of trying to make people comply, and it I don't know. I don't think it's good in like a very creative environment. And a lot of companies that are very creative don't would never have a don't dress have code. that. Yeah, that's true. So I think it kind of like, but also it, the pro is it probably keeps people in line and probably means that they're going to behave in a more formal way which might be better yeah or worse depending on what you're doing i just wonder wonder, like if you're in like an investment bank and it's smart casual Mm -hmm. i wonder like how obvious i always i don't know about this as a kid it's it's easier if you're thinking about school but like what would be like the senior guys are they wearing like 200 pound t-shirts and it's like obvious that those guys are wealthy yeah adversity because i mean that is what that's what happens in silicon valley though like no one wears a suit like they might wear a jacket and a t-shirt mm. but then they start like they basically it becomes like trainer sneakers mm. so like i i i met perhaps this is shown too much but i read an article i've seen it actually i read the same article twice which i think tells you a lot about me i was reading what sneakers the ceos of different silicon valley companies have right because <laughs> so, so like, people keep an eye on that so like sunder from um from Google, like he, you know, he was wearing like a particular type of like limited edition Converse, right? And it's like, and like Tim Cook was wearing like Nike Flyknits or whatever that cost like two hundred quid. And yeah, you're totally right. Like they're basically ramping it up, yeah. But like they're casual, but they're clearly not casual because they've probably got a stylist. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Bloody... And what they're wearing is like worth a thousand pounds. Yeah. Well, that's what, and then you know, a uniform to some degree. Although you obviously can still spend a lot, everybody sort of looks the same. Mm. Obviously, a good suit look does look better than a bad suit. But yeah. I, I don't know. It was just I've, it's one thing that I've thought about, and I would never, I would never enforce a strict dress code. I would just say people need to be. I would use the word presentable. Yeah. I.e., you're not you're not coming in in like pajamas. Yeah. And you know, or, or you know, if somebody turns up and says, "This is the company that we're going to buy some software for," I wouldn't be hiding you under the desk. We used to have. Um... When I worked at the hedge fund, we used to have uh, investors come in mm. and they used to be like, tomorrow, like we, we yes. would always wear like... Yeah, yeah, they'd be like, tomorrow you need to, you need to you take need, it up a notch. Yeah, it wouldn't be clothes. It wouldn't be clothes. It would be uh, cleanliness of desks. They'd be like, get oh. rid of all the clutter, you know, make, basically make it look like, you know, you're doing some work and that, you know, you, everything's good. But they would... Do you turn on the screens that like beep boop and have like the matrix yeah, coming yeah. out? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'll turn off the cricket and we'll put Bloomberg back on. <laughs> the investors like that. We'll, oh, we'll, like, as an investor, you come and go, oh, Bloomberg's on the telly. Mm, yes. <laughs> we take off like the database diagram and put on some like complicated maths on the whiteboard. So those sorts of things. Just like, copy and paste the database diagram seven times. Like, oh, that looks really complicated. <laughs> that looks so good. But yeah, no, it's, it, is, it is a strange kind of thing. It's kind of weird just telling people what they can and can't wear. Mm-hmm. Thinking about it, it's straight, but it, we're just so used to it. It's just culture. But it, yeah, and then the, how that affects the culture, I guess. Sorry, I think that is, I mean, that has been a bit of a tangent more about sort of team, but it's interesting. I think it's interesting. It would be interesting to see uh, somewhere like you were saying, your investment bank, where it would be interesting to see how people coped with the change. Because obviously, generally, you work in company X might be very smart. Company Y might be really casual. Mm. But there, in that example, you'll have people that were historically very smart. And then the next day, they're like, yeah, from Monday, 
you can be smart cash. That's where I do people I, just panic, or do people do? I wasn't I don't there own when that. <laughs> so some of my friends still wear smart clothes. I met up with them last week or the week before, and they're still wearing smart clothes. But it's a really strange that sort transition. Of, that sort of transition must be because when I went there, everybody wore smart clothes mm. all the time, with basically very few exceptions. And then all of a sudden, a whole division, which is like I think over a thousand people in London, mm. they were like, "Don't worry, don't worry." Like that, and it's still like smart cash. They're still pretty smart. Yeah, yeah, but not shirt and suit, right? Yeah, some of them will be wearing like more casual shirts. Yeah, or, like it's kind of like dress down Friday. Yeah, attire. but all the time. Yeah, I think for me, like shirt with jeans and a casual shirt, that for me is like I'm happy with that. If they were like, if somebody enforced that, I'd be like, that's fine. That's a jazz look, mate. Yeah, well, I've been rocking it for the last two years. <laughs> I was the one that turned it. You're quite, you're quite smart as a person, actually. Thank you very much. I think you are. You're, you, you, you're the kind of person. If I met up with you, like to go for dinner with some friends, I wouldn't be surprised if you were wearing, if you looked quite presentable, like ready to go to that kind of. Oh, job. I see. What you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I, you can count the days on in a year on one hand of how many days I look presentable. Last year I got married, reasonably presentable. One. One. <laughs> That, that was like, yeah, and then there were maybe like three or four others. But mm. I'm, yeah, I've become. Yeah. But I, I think as well, like, it just depends on how much, you know, whether those. Again, it comes down to whether those clothes are comfortable or not, right? Mm. Like we're different sizes, so shirts might just fit me better. Yeah, might let them be left be more comfortable. Yeah, my muscles really make it very. Yeah, you just yeah. sort of hulking out of those bad boys <laughs> again. I used to work with a guy that um, used to... I was telling someone this the other day, but basically he, he's quite a big guy, quite stocky, and he used to work out a lot in the gym. And he would rip a shirt in the days when the, my first big company, he would rip a shirt <laughs> at least once every two weeks. Once every two weeks? No All way. the time. He'd turn around. He'd turn around and be like, oh, Dick, and you'd just hear it go. And it would always go like under the arm. <laughs> but he just owned it. He was like, yeah, I'm a big guy. You know, just, he was an awkward shape. I thought you were going to say once every like two months. <laughs> he was on that sk- He wasn't, the thing is, he wasn't fat. He was, he was just muscly. Yeah. And so like, he, he could literally flex his shirt to rip more or less it was, it was crazy so I, I can't quite do that no I've, do you know what I've ripped very few shirts in my time I ripped like one or two mm. but that's through like the elbow generally or the, the elbow yeah just these really pointy elbows that your, your elbow's got a lot of wear and tear on it yeah no, exactly. <laughs> in general Jesus we'll put a picture of that in the show notes <laughs> <laughs> um, alright I think yeah. Is there anything I think we've covered everything that you else you put yeah. it was, this was a great this was a great note taking exercise yeah I did it on, on my way here. <laughs> the, there's only one more thing, oh, yeah. which is, um, which I think is actually maybe the route we've slightly gone down, which is perhaps that it's okay not to manage and to stay a bit more technical. Yes, definitely. I think that is, or maybe the thing I said before, where you kind of you just become more autonomous and you like you just become like your own manager and you're sort of managing yourself a bit mm. more. It's kind of like really senior, senior, senior dev. I think that's. Maybe okay, but if you've got, it's just a really strange career progression to be like, I'm really into tech stuff, so I learned to program, or I went to university to do it, or I, you know, I learned, I did a boot camp, and then I'm coding, and I really like that, and I'm going to get career progression, and then one day someone's like, would you rather just create Jira tickets and mm. be on the phone? And you're like, not really. No. So I think it's kind of, and some people do because that's where the money is or the career progression is. But, I but think, it's weird to think that that's even a career, that doesn't make sense as a career progression, right? But like for anyone else, if you were progressing in a career as a doctor, you don't get they do a bit. Th- well, no, but you don't get halfway through, and they're like, "Would you like to do Admin. administration?" Yeah, it's like no, that doesn't really because 
I would say a lot of what a man a good manager is, they're doing a lot of admin yeah. stuff that the developers don't want to do. Mm. And so I think there are definitely there are definitely some people that would be good managers that don't want to do it, that don't want to do it. But you could see it perhaps that you'd be like, look, they'd be really good actually at just keeping, mm. you know, and that's when you push those people into that sort of role. But there are, I have seen people who are clearly managers that just regret being a manager. They just took it for the pay grade or whatever. And I think if you do it for a few years as well, you can lose your, you can lose your mojo and your confidence a little bit. Mm. And going backwards becomes hard. Yeah. I heard that my first boss has, has gone back and I was, I was quite happy to hear that, that he's, he's doing a bit more depth. Yeah. But I do... Yeah, it is is a is a difficult thing. I think the other problem with it is is that it's very hard to stay uh, to do management to a percentage which is less than a hundred. It always tends to a hundred. Like yeah. you're like, oh, I'll do fifty fifty management software development. There's like a ninety percent chance that you end up doing like a hundred percent management. It's just because there's always more stuff to deal with that yeah, you can take off your and developers. It right, naturally grows and it's it really affects your ability to develop so that you just can't really get anything done then at some point you're just going to sack it in because you're like if you do do both a good tip that i've heard is to not put yourself on the critical path of a project so don't give you if you're the manager you're also doing a bit of dev don't give yourself any of the critical tasks because you'll probably end up stuck on a conference call and then you have a choice of we really need that code done so i'm going to have to do it after work because i think what you see in a lot of managers when they switch is they end up just working a lot of hours yeah because the parts of your brain that do management and development means that if you said to someone you need to do 14 hours of management today or 14 hours of development, it's not possible. But you can probably do seven of each yeah. because it's sort of different. Yeah, and then you just get the, you know, you just get exhausted. Then. Yeah, and you yeah, get yeah. fatigued over time and that's a disaster. So I think, yeah, giving yourself a little thing to do or maybe just doing the technical things to keep, you know, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, make the build better or make our deployment better and do sort of discretionary things that perhaps the rest of the team, that they would never be budget from and just say, I'm not really developing. But they would appreciate it. Yeah, but it yeah. will, like, speed the team up. Maybe those are good mm. things to pick off. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair point. I think I think that is a... I think in, in big organisations, the pressure can be there to, like you say, keep progressing. Mm. And you're like, it's inevitable that I'm going to become a manager. And I think I think people that are developers should feel like they can say, no, I want to stay technical mm-hmm. and just allow the organization to work that out. I think, I think that should, you, you know, it's not for everybody yeah, and it shouldn't be pushed on everybody just because you've been a good, you've been a very good developer. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. No. Mm. Cool. All right. I think we're done. That's hopefully our shortest episode because we have no, didn't have any follow up. <laughs> basically. <laughs> no follow up. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.